0: The gender pensions gap. And will the Minister agree to meet with me to discuss how we can try and tackle this issue? Yeah. Well, this government is doing huge amounts to tackle the gender pensions gap. Automatic enrolment is transforming this situation. Women used to be at 38 per cent and are now at over 80 per cent of savings on an ongoing basis.
1: Before we come to Prime Minister's questions, I would like to point out that the British Sign Language interpretation of proceedings is available to watch on the Parliament Live TV. We now come to yeah, 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 questions for the yeah, 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 Prime Minister, and I start with Robert Largan. What, Deputy Prime.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I have been asked to reply on behalf of my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister. As the House will know, he's been at the UN General Assembly in New York, where he's held meetings with world leaders, in particular, leaders from countries vulnerable to climate change. He's also met with President Biden for discussions on climate, COVID, and international security.
0: Robert Largan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. GPs have done a brilliant job delivering the vaccination programme. They've had to work very long hours in the most challenging circumstances, and now they're having to deal with a huge COVID backlog. As a result, many of my constituents have contacted me frustrated by how difficult it is to see their GP face-to-face. Just this week, I have been contacted by someone who has been diagnosed with cancer after being taken into hospital. Now She said to me, and I quote, I can't help but wonder if they would have caught it sooner if I had been able to see someone in person instead of trying to describe my symptoms over the phone. So can I ask the Deputy Prime Minister what the Government are doing? to tackle the COVID backlog and get face-to-face
2: GP appointments back as soon as possible. Can I thank my Honourable Friend. I know he's a huge champion of his local NHS. I know of the incredible work that he's done on reinstatement of breast cancer screening clinics, amongst other things. Can I join with him in thanking GPs for the heroic job they've done to see us through the pandemic. While appointment numbers have returned to pre-pandemic levels, of course, patients, the public, rightly expect to see uh, their GP face-to-face where it's necessary and be, as he'll be aware, we've provided and the Chancellor has funded a £36 billion package to deal with the NHS backlog as well as pursuing our plan for social care.
1: We now come to the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Angela Rayner. Yeah.
3: Thank you Mr Speaker and the Honourable Member makes a very important point that I think across the House people are concerned about that and I share the Deputy deputy Leader's comments regarding the work of the GPs and our local primary care services but Mr Speaker can I begin? By offering my commiserations to the Prime Minister after he flew away to the US and made absolutely zero progress on the trade deal that he promised us. And can I ask the Deputy Prime Minister does the Deputy Prime Minister still believe that British workers are amongst the worst idlers in the world?
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, what well, can I just say to the Right Honourable Lady, for a start, uh, I think it's excellent news that because of the engagement we've had with the U.S., uh, they have immediately given us the boost to trade and businesses by reinstating travel from the U.K. to the U.S. When it, when it, when it comes to British workers, can I just say to her that... We've got payroll employment back to levels we saw before the pandemic. We've got youth employment rising. We've got businesses advertising over a million jobs uh, at a record high and the fastest economic growth in the G7 this year.
3: Angela Reina. Mr. Speaker, still no trade deal and those were the words And those were the words of the Deputy Prime Minister in his book, which he wrote alongside the Foreign Secretary, the Home Secretary and the Business Secretary. And his actions, Mr Speaker, speak even louder than those words. Because whatever they say, their political choices have made it harder for working families to get by. So can the Deputy Prime Minister tell us how much his universal credit cut a national insurance hike will take from a worker on £18,000 a year, say a shop worker or a travel agent.
2: Well, what I'd say to the uh, right hon. Lady is that the UC uplift was always meant to be temporary. We paid the wages of nearly 12 million workers through this pandemic. We, we are coming out with rising jobs Rising wages, we would have done none of that if we'd have taken her advice, not come out of lockdown. Labour have got no plan, our plan is working. Angela Rayner.
3: Mr. Speaker, lots of words for I don't know, so let me help him. His government chose to cut the income of a worker on £18,000 a year by over £1,100. And Mr. Speaker, That is almost exactly the same as an average annual energy bill. Just as energy prices are ballooning, they have chosen to take the money that could cover a year's worth of bills out of the pockets of working people. The Deputy Prime Minister has said the solution is for people to work harder. So can he tell us how many days a worker on the minimum wage would have to work this year in order to afford a night at a luxury hotel, saying in Crete.
2: <laughs> if she wants to talk, if she wants to talk about taxes and easing the burden on the lowest paid, I'd remind her: whenever a Labour Party has gone into government, the economy has nosedived, unemployment has soared. And taxes have gone through the roof. Under this government, we cut income tax, saving every worker £1,200 each year. We've introduced and extended the national living wage, so full-time workers are £4,000 better off each year. We've doubled uh, the uh, free childcare for working parents, worth up to £5,000 for every child every year. When Labour takes office, unemployment goes up and uh, the economy goes down.
1: Angela Rayner,
3: Mr. Speaker, he talks about the economy. He doesn't even know how much his own holiday costs. So let me tell him. Let me tell him. A worker, a worker on the minimum wage, would need to work an extra 50 days to pay for a single night at his favourite resort. Probably, probably, Mr. Speaker even more if the sea was open. Yeah. The very same week the very same week that the government is cutting universal credit, working people face soaring energy bills. Yeah. The Prime Minister has said it is just a short-term problem and we will leave it to the market to fix. Yeah. So can the Deputy Prime Minister guarantee that no one will lose their gas or energy supply or be pushed into fuel poverty this winter? Yeah.
2: Well, the business secretary's has made very clear that energy supplies will continue. That our number one priority is to protect consumers. Um, I just remind her, though, of her words. Uh, it was in the Guardian in the 11th of May, so it must be true. She said the Labour Party must stop talking down to people. Working-class people don't want a handout. They want opportunities. They're getting those opportunities, <laughs> Mr. Speaker. They're getting those opportunities under a Conservative government. We've catch up tutoring for over two million children this academic year, hundreds of thousands of jobs for young people under our Kickstart scheme, and helping over a million people on long term unemployment out under the Restart scheme. She's right. Labour talks down to working people under the Conservatives. They get to rise up and fulfil their potential.
3: Well, Mr Speaker, I noticed we have a shortage of hot air this week. But just just as the Prime Minister, just as the Prime Minister isn't here, but the Deputy Prime Minister is doing his best to shore up supplies. And you know what, Mr Speaker? He talks about opportunities. The Government have axed the Green Homes Grant, scrapped the zero-carbon home standard and lost the storage facility that held three-quarters of our gas. Their failures, Mr Speaker, paved the way for this crisis that will hit families and businesses. And as usual, it will be the British people that will have to pay the price. So can the Deputy Prime Minister guarantee That none of the workers employed by the energy companies will end up unemployed because of his government's failures.
2: What can I say to the Right Honourable Lady, there's no shortage of hot air on that side of the benches? The business secretary's been absolutely crystal clear. We are seeing the challenge of wholesale gas prices rise uh, all over the world. We will maintain supply this year. The the business sector has taken targeted action to support the two critical CO2 plants to make sure that not only do we see energy supplies through but also food distribution. The reality is, for all our cheap political barbs, they have got no plan on that side of the House. If we would have listened to the Labour Party, we would not have opened up, we would not be bouncing back, jobs would not be rising and wages would not be rising.
3: And the radar. Mr. Speaker, maybe he should go back to his sun lounge and let me take over. Because the truth is, the truth is, Mr. Speaker, they were warned about the problems that we faced and the energy crisis that we faced. And there we have it. Absolutely nothing to help the people up and down the country who are working themselves to the ground and still struggling to make ends meet. This is a Conservative Party that does not care about working people. Families. Families, Mr. Speaker, across the country are worried about heating their homes yep. while he's complaining about having to share his 115-room taxpayer-funded mansion with the Foreign Secretary. Yeah. Just <laughs> as, Mr. Speaker, just no as the truth hurts, doesn't it? Just as his government are making choices that are making working families' lives harder. A typical family, Mr. Speaker, are facing a tough winter this year. Universal credit down a thousand quid, rent up 150 quid, gas bills up 150 quid, taxes up and food prices are soaring. Working people will have to choose whether to feed their kids or heat their homes. The choice for the Deputy Prime Minister is will he make their lives easier or harder? So, what will he choose, Mr. Speaker? Will the government cancel the universal credit cut.
2: Hey! I say to the right honourable lady she should check her facts because chevening is funded by a charity not a penny of taxpayer's money. <laughs> let me also tell her that, that let me also tell her the most disastrous thing for energy bills of hard working people across this country would be to follow Labour's plan to nationalise the energy companies, which the CBI say would cost as much as £2,000 on bills. Mr. Speaker, this government's the one taking action to take the country forward with a plan for the NHS, a plan for COVID, and our plan is working. Employment up, job vacancies up, wages up. If we would have listened to the party opposite, we would never have come out of lockdown. We are the ones taking the difficult decisions, getting on with the job, and our plan is working.
0: Mr. Speaker, last week members of the Armed Forces parliamentary scheme from across this House attended our excellent Defence Academy. And what is striking is the number of services personnel from overseas who come to the UK to benefit from its world class professional defence and security education. So, does my right honourable friend agree with me that this is a further illustration that far from being a fifth wheel on the carriage, the UK is at the heart of ensuring global security, that the AUKUS Pact is one of the best ways to meet emerging threats, particularly in the South China Sea.
4: My
2: my, my hon. Friend is absolutely bang on. The AUKUS Partnership is incredibly important for our security. It uh, builds on what we said in the integrated review uh, about promoting stability in the Indo-Pacific. It builds on our FTA negotiations, including CPTPP. It builds on our membership as a dialogue partner of ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, the first new member in over 20 years. And it will have huge opportunities for jobs and businesses here uh, at home and part of the leveling up agenda.
1: Deputy Leader of the SNP, Kirsten Oswald. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
5: Across Scotland and the UK, millions of families are seeing their incomes slashed by this Tory government, with a toxic combination of Tory cuts, tax rises, and the growing cost of Brexit. The Prime Minister promised that he would make energy bills more than £60 per household cheaper after Brexit. Instead, they could skyrocket by £550 at the worst possible time.
4: Yeah, yeah.
5: The UK government is slashing universal credit by £1,040, furlough is ending prematurely, and a Tory tax hike will leave the majority of families hundreds of pounds worse off next year. Let's be clear, this is a Tory cost-of-living crisis, and yet again lower- and middle-income families will suffer the most. So will the Deputy Prime Minister agree with me it is time to scrap Tory cuts to universal credit mm-hmm. and to introduce an emergency energy payment for lower-income families, so no one has to choose between heating and eating this winter.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, can I just say, to the honourable lady, many of those issues uh, devolve to Scotland, but the, price gap, the, the energy price gap, the, the energy price gap will save 15 million households uh, up to £100 each year. We're also taking targeted measures to extend the warm home discount. Uh, That will be uh, £150 knocked off the bills of 780,000 homes. We're providing seasonal cold weather payments to eligible claimants uh, an extra £25 a week during colder periods. On top of that we're giving a winter fuel payment to recipients of the state pension. But the crucial thing uh, Mr Speaker is that we've got rising employment and rising wages and that will benefit everyone in Scotland and across the UK.
1: Kirsten Oswald. Thank
5: you Mr Speaker and that's a disappointing and perplexing response <laughs> from the Deputy Prime Minister who perhaps needs to go back and look again and I have to say to him warm words don't heat homes and unless these Tory cuts are reversed we will see even more families pushed into hardship and crisis. Mr Speaker, yesterday I met with the East Renfrewshire Citizens Advice Bureau. They warned of a cost of living tsunami hammering Mm -hmm. families, a universal credit cut, Tory tax hikes, soaring household bills. Because of this government's choices, people are having to choose between heating their homes or feeding their families. Here, here. For all their empty rhetoric, you can't level up by making people poorer. Here, here.
4: So, can the Deputy
5: here. Prime Minister explain why he's stubbornly refusing to consider introducing an emergency energy payment that would help families through a very difficult winter? Here. Here.
2: Well, as I said, uh, Mr Speaker, the price gap in place will save 50 million households up to £100 each year. On top of that, because of the approach we've taken with the national living wage, uh, full-time workers will be £4,000 per year, better off. But can I just also say to her, I think uh, given the the challenges that we understandably face, people expect, including in Scotland, for us to come together, stop this uh, scaremongering, stop this sowing of division. And... uh, and that's why I would have thought she would welcome the fact, with some of the challenges that the Scottish ambulance service is facing, that we've got the British armed forces helping the people of Scotland.
1: Mister Loader.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The
0: bus and train operator First Group continued to slash our transport services in West Dorset, despite receiving millions of pounds of public money with no revenue risk at all, and the worst rail line frequency in the country on the Heart of Wessex line. Will the Deputy Prime Minister directly intervene to save what little service we have on that three-hourly frequency line, or will he actively work to get a new operator that will?
2: Can I thank my honourable friend, and uh, I know he's a great champion for the people in his constituency. I also understand that the Department for Transport has been engaging with the transport operators in his constituency. Uh, I understand that South Western Rail intend to increase service levels to their pre COVID timetable. May 2022. Um, and I also know that they have uh, ambitions for an increase in the train service frequency on the Great Western Rail route. DFT will, of course, continue to work with GWR, and I continue to uh, support him in trying to champion commuters and passengers on all of those services.
1: Uh, thank you, yeah. Mr Speaker.
2: Without a Green
0: New Deal, the government is struggling uh, to meet its uh, carbon reduction targets under the Paris Agreement. At the same time, the International Energy Agency is making clear there should not be any new exploitation of oil or gas fields if the world is to meet the 2050 target for carbon neutrality. Yet the government is potentially investing in the new Cambo oil field in the North Sea and also other oil, supporting other oil wells across the UK. So how can the government have any credibility? When it said and made a pledge to cease funding Oil and gas companies, yet this is still going ahead.
2: Can I say to the honourable gentleman, thank him for his question. Uh, Of course, we launched the landmark North Sea transition uh, deal to transform the offshore oil and gas sector in preparation for net zero, so we have a plan. We've also secured record investment in wind power, totalling close to half a billion pounds. We have got a world-leading hydrogen strategy and, of course, we are the first major economy to, in the world to set net zero into law. And I can tell uh, the hon. Gentleman that, on Monday at the UN General Assembly, the Prime Minister announced £550 million uh, of uh, ODA that will be allocated to support developing countries to meet net zero. We are leading by example at home and abroad.
1: Andy Carter. Thank you very much, Mr.
2: As you know,
0: Warrington is one of the fastest-growing towns in the north of England. Yeah. Yeah. But our hospital, which is mostly Victorian, is creaking at the seams. Over the last year, the hospital have recruited an additional 240 new nurses and more than 100 doctors, but we need more beds, so can I ask the Deputy Prime Minister to speak to the uh, Health Secretary and ask him to back our bid for a new hospital in Warrington?
2: Can I thank my honourable friend? He's a powerful champion for patients and his constituents. Uh, we've now received uh, applications for, uh, to be one of the next eight hospitals in our new hospital programme. Uh, I understand that an expression of interest has been submitted. By uh, uh, proposing developments across both the Warrington and Holton Hospital. I can't, and he'll understand, uh, notwithstanding uh, the uh, uh, smart way that he's gone about his intervention, I can't comment on particular applications, but I can tell him there'll be a decision by the spring of 2022. Deirdre Brock.
6: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I start, Mr. Speaker, as our Westminster COP26 spokesperson, by welcoming today's announcement by INEAS of £1 billion of investment into cutting greenhouse gas emissions at its Grangemouth plant and supporting the CCUS Acorn cluster at St Fergus in Aberdeenshire. A big step in the right direction. But now I must ask the deputy prime minister this: Can he outline exactly for us what it is his government has against the Scottish government, requiring real living wages for Scottish workers and net zero obligations in its green ports? Yeah.
4: Why well,
2: can I just say to the? Um Honourable Lady, net zero is at the heart of everything we do, and we have raised the national living wage, which will save uh, uh, the uh, full-time worker £400 every year. John Penrouse. Mr Deputy Speaker, later
0: today the Subsidy Control Bill will give us all a welcome chance to replace clunky and bureaucratic EU-derived laws with faster, simpler and more flexible UK rules instead. But will the Deputy Prime Minister agree with me? That subsidies need strong controls so they aren't misused by, heaven forbid, a future Labour government. Ministers have already committed to make the world, the UK, world leader in subsidy transparency. So, will he look carefully at proposals to publish details of more subsidies in future rather than fewer, as the current bill suggests?
2: Can I thank uh, my honourable friend? He'll know, of course. Uh, that today the House will be discussing our landmark subsidy control bill which will allow us to seize the opportunities having left the EU. Uh, Our new uh, control system will provide quicker and more flexible to support to British businesses. But he's right with what he said about transparency and decisions on subsidies that were previously subject to approval by unelected EU bureaucrats will now be decided, uh, subject to the scrutiny and the <laughs> rigour of honourable members uh, on both sides across this House. And that will give us the transparency but also the accountability that he wants.
1: British. Mr. Speaker. I've known the, uh, the Honourable Gentleman for, for some time and
0: always got on quite well with him. He represents one of the wealthiest constituencies in the country. Can he assure me that he still believes in the redistribution of income in our country? Does he really believe in levelling up? And if he does, will he make sure? that Channel 4 stays in Leeds, stays in the public sector, because it's essential in the growth of our tech economy in the north of England.
2: Mr Speaker, we put the UK Infrastructure Bank in Leeds because we love Leeds. And can I just say, he asks about um, inequality and levelling up. The levelling up agenda will, of course, help uh, those in the Midlands, those in the north, but it will also help those in London and the south-east by easing uh, the pressure on the economy, uh, by easing the pressure on tax revenues and by easing the pressure on planning. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Government says that to protect the most vulnerable is compelling
0: co-workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19, even though this is expected to force out 40,000 carers who have been on the front line throughout the pandemic. Would my right friend set out why the same approach isn't being taken to protect the most vulnerable in the National Health Service?
2: And you know, I thank our honourable friends. Look, we're very clear, vaccines are saving lives. Uh, they're also boosting the economy because they've allowed us to, uh, to open up. Um, that's particularly important for the risk to vulnerable people, including carers in care homes. Over 90% of care home staff have received their first, first dose ahead of the November deadline. Uh, we encourage others to get vaccinated. And of course, the DHSC is currently considering whether to make Uh, vaccination uh, and uh, of not just Covid but also flu, a condition of deployment for frontline workers in health but also in care settings.
1: The increase in
6: employers' national insurance payments will place a huge burden on on the public sector, from local government to police and fire services. Can the Deputy Prime Minister tell the House what the financial impact of this will be, both north and south of the border? and if additional funding will be provided to ensure there are no cuts to our vital public
2: services. Yeah. Well, can I just say to the Honourable Lady that um, of course the Treasury assesses very carefully these measures. Uh, we're supporting hundreds of thousands of jobs for young people under our Kickstart scheme. Uh, there's a well, there's a range of other measures that we're taking, including uh, the restart scheme. Uh, and, 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 of, and of course, we look at the tax burden, uh, but I would just remind her that we're the ones that have uh, uh, in, uh, taken um, uh, 1,200. We're the ones We're the ones that have saved the average worker. 1,200 pounds every year. We doubled the free childcare for working parents, and frankly, uh, frankly to the honourable lady, um, we are of course mindful of the pressure on public service, as in turn, term- as with the private sector, we're doing every everything we can. But the SNP opposed coming out of lockdown. The SNP opposed. Order! Please,
1: we've got to try and get through some questions. It's your own side. You're stopping asking the questions, Deputy Prime Minister. Yes. Too long an answer, Deanna Davis.
6: Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Much of the reason that I stand in this chamber today follows a chain reaction of events following the death of my father from a single punch assault. But my dad is just one of many victims, which is why this week we are marking One Punch Awareness Week. So can I ask the Deputy Prime Minister if he'll join me in showing his support for One Punch Awareness Week? And can I extend an invitation to him to join me immediately after PMQs in Westminster Hall, and indeed all colleagues right across the house to join us to show that support. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Can I say to my Honourable Friend, I know how much this campaign means to her personally. I know that Honourable Members across the House will be very proud of the tenacious way she is uh, pursuing that campaign. Of course I will join her in Westminster Hall and I would encourage all Honourable Members to do the same.
1: Lock
7: Thank you Mr Speaker. Following the ill-informed and partisan comments from President Biden overnight, would the Deputy Prime Minister urge the Prime Minister to point out to those he meets in the US who actually care about political stability in Northern Ireland that, far from defending the Belfast Agreement, the Northern Ireland Protocol is now the single greatest danger to the political institutions? Mr Speaker, the situation is now time-critical. Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree with me that a solution that restores Northern Ireland Ireland's place within the United Kingdom's internal markets is the only way to avert the collapse of the institutions and such a solution must be found in weeks rather than months.
2: Can I thank uh, the Honourable Lady? We absolutely agree that uh, having a uh, smart and pragmatic approach is the only way that we will be able to uphold the Good Friday Agreement for all communities in Northern Ireland and uh, notwithstanding what the reporting has said I know having been in Carbis Bay with the Prime Minister and with the President that he understands our view and we've explained our position uh, as well as then taking into account what the EU has said. Jesse Norman. Uh, thank you it, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, The House will know that the River Y is one of the most beautiful rivers in our country and also a priceless national asset, yet it is being threatened by phosphate pollution. Yeah. Will my honourable friend uh, press colleagues in the Government uh, and in Number 10 to work with us to push the agencies and uh, other interested bodies to a long-term integrated plan to clean up the River Y? Yeah. I yeah, thank my honourable friend. We, uh, of course, the government understands, and he champions eloquently uh, the importance of the River Y. We'll do everything we can to support him with preserving it for future generations.
1: Margaret Furry. Thank you, Mr.
5: Speaker. With less than 100 days until
1: Christmas, many of our
5: constituents will be choosing to shop for children's toys online. There have unfortunately been incidents of young children swallowing small parts like batteries and magnets, which require invasive medical intervention. With rogue traders out there, Deputy Prime Minister, how can consumers be satisfied that toys they purchase via online marketplaces are safe, marked as age-appropriate and meet the required safety standards?
2: Can I thank the Honourable Lady, and I've got young children, and I know what it's like at Christmas, and uh, as well as being a time of great happiness, uh, also uh, a certain degree of uh, trepidation when they go for the presents in the way she described. But I can reassure her, manufacturers and distributors must provide information on age-appropriate use of toys. Uh, The UK Office for Product Safety and Standards will take action to remove products uh, online that pose any risk, and are. Product safety framework is being reviewed to make sure that it's fit for purpose, that it's updated in line with new products going onto the market, and above all, that it protects consumers.
1: Jonathan Gillis Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Stoke-on-Trent
3: has received so far £29 million to the Transforming Cities Fund, 550 jobs from the Home Office, and Kidsgrove has received a £17.6 million town deal. After 70 years of neglect from the Labour Party, Stoke-on-Trent yeah, yeah. is firmly on the map. But we have a seventy three point five
0: million levelling up fund bid. So will my right honourable friend ensure that Stoke On Trent, who is now hungry, gets its just dessert.
2: He's a doughty champion for his constituency. He's absolutely right. We'll give him all the support we can. And he and he's right to say the only reason uh, that we're seeing uh, that level of prosperity is because we've got employment rising, youth unemployment coming up, and rising wages. That's happening under this government because the opposition have no plan whatsoever.
1: Yeah. But it's nice to welcome back Sir George Hubbard. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and can I take this opportunity to thank you personally for the kindness you showed during my recent illness. Um, does the Right Honourable g- Gentleman agree that Town Hall's no better than Whitehall when it comes to levelling up?
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: And will he pass on my suggestion to the Prime Minister that he hosts a cross party summit in Downing Street with local government leaders and mayors to discuss how they can be empowered to unlock that potential? Yeah. Yeah. And I, Can I thank the Honourable Gentleman. Whatever our differences, it's fantastic to see him back in the Chamber, contributing, holding the Government to account. Uh, I think the, uh, the agenda for levelling up has got to involve a team effort, central Government, local authorities and the many Metro mayors across the country. So I support the spirit uh, of what he said and we'll do everything we can to work with him.
1: Siobhan Betley. Mr
6: Speaker, in Stroud, the Nailsworth Climate Area Action Network held a well-attended retrofit fair to help people learn about the benefits of insulating homes and the options available. Will my right honourable friend congratulate the group on the constructive approach to this difficult issue and provide the House with the confidence that the government is making even more, or creating even more solutions for energy efficient homes and let us know when there will be more details.
2: Yeah. can I thank my honourable friend to uh, support all of the efforts at the local level that she 's pursuing uh, we 're backing that up at the national level, requiring all new build homes by two thousand and twenty five to have low carbon heating and world' leading levels of energy efficiency that 's on top of the investment the record investment in wind power. Uh, on top of being a wor- uh, producing a world-leading hydrogen strategy and also bringing the world together because it's going to require an international solution uh, at the COP26 Global Climate Summit in November.
1: Rachel Hopkins,
3: speaker. 239 jobs at the Vauxhall plant in Luton South are at risk this week due to the semiconductor chip shortage and furlough ending this month. Mm. The Government has failed to safeguard jobs, failed to maintain key strategic supply lines and failed to support the UK's capability in areas such as silicon. So will the Deputy Prime Minister outline to me what number 10 is going to do to ensure the UK automotive sector remains competitive globally and skilled jobs in towns like mine, Luton are saved?
2: Can I just say to the Honourable, I think it's quite right to say the government hasn't uh, been supporting workers. We paid the wages of nearly 12 million workers throughout this pandemic. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, that can't continue indefinitely. But I can reassure her specifically that the government is investing in supporting gigafactories and we will be investing in the technologies of the future that will create the jobs of the future in her constituency and right across the UK.
0: All of us here enjoy the opportunity to eat British food and drink and enjoy okay. British flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am joined by all of Cornwall's MPs, pressing the yeah, Home Secretary yeah, yeah. to renew the seasonal agricultural workers scheme for next year, 30,000 people, but also yeah. to allow them to pick daffodils. Yeah, yeah. Will, the, uh, will the Deputy Prime Minister please speak to the Home Secretary to remind her of the urgency of getting the seasonal agriculture ag- worker scheme renewed. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: My honourable friend is a, a powerful champion for his constituency in the region. I will, of course, pass on uh, his uh, uh, suggestion and advice to the Home Secretary. I believe she's been lobbied from various other quarters. We're very mindful of the impact on seasonal workers and we'll make sure we get the right balance.
1: No question, none of Mike Thank you, Mr. De-
3: Mr. Speaker. A former junior minister for courts and justice once told this House he was absolutely committed to doing everything he could to improve the treatment of victims in the justice system. Six years and three manifesto commitments later, we're still waiting for that, them to deliver a promised victims' bill. Yep. That junior minister is now the sixth justice secretary. So, will he commit here today to delivering that long overdue victims' bill? And bring justice to millions of victims across the country, including my own constituent who was left homeless, jobless, and traumatised through the court system.
2: Can can I thank the Honourable Lady? I can absolutely make that commitment. I can tell her on day one I looked at the plans and expedited the work that we're doing on it. Well, if she'd give me a chance, I've not been in the job uh, uh, a full week. But but what I can also tell her, what we're doing right now uh, with the victims' Uh, uh, the the women and girls victim strategy that we published in July. We've provided a national police lead that goes directly, reports directly to the Home Secretary. We've invested £30 in making streets safer at night, particularly important for women uh, so that they have that reassurance they need, that there are no no no-go areas, that there are no uh, de facto curfews. And we've also introduced 24-7 rape and sexual assault um, helplines. Can I just also gently say to her that in terms of standing up for the victims of crime, I I lament the fact that the Labour Party voted against our Police Crime Sentencing Courts Bill requiring all violent offenders, all rapists, all child rapists to serve at least two thirds of the sentence behind bars. You can't stand up for victims unless you stand up for tough sentencing. Right, that is the end of questions. I let
1: people leave before I just read out No problem, George. Lovely to see you. Then. Can I remind all Honourable and Right Honourable Members that the House's judice resolution means that cases in which proceedings are active, including where charges have been made, should not be referred to during questions. I am sure all Members will wish to respect that resolution, especially where there is a prospect of court case in the future. And nobody will want to put those cases at risk. Now we come to the UQ. Right on Hartman. Right
6: Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I'm really grateful to you for granting this urgent question. To ask the Secretary of State for the Home Department if she will make a statement on what action she will be taking in response to the report by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary on the police response to violence against women and girls. Minister. Mr Speaker, crimes of violence against women and girls are utterly despicable. They inflict profound and lasting harm on the victims and have a damaging impact on our society as a whole. And that is why the Government is taking concerted action to crack down on these appalling crimes. I am extremely grateful to the Right Honourable Member for Camberwell and Peckham for providing me with an opportunity as a newly appointed Minister for Safeguarding to outline our work in this area and I very much hope to work collegiately across the House. I know that every parliamentarian shares our concern about these serious issues. The Home Secretary commissioned this report from the Police Inspectorate to help police forces strengthen their response. We are carefully considering the Inspectorate's findings and we expect the police and others to take any necessary action. The Home Secretary has committed to consideration of the report's full recommendations and will update Parliament when she's done so. We supported the Inspectorate's recommendation in their interim report in July to introduce a full time national police lead for violence against women and girls. I'm pleased to say that the Deputy Chief Constable, Maggie Blythe, has been appointed to the role and we look forward to working with her. While the report shows that there is more to do, we must not lose sight of the fact that we have made progress. The report acknowledges improvements in the police response to these crimes, including better identification of repeat victims, improved techniques to collect evidence, and improved safeguarding measures. Since 2010, the Government has taken significant action in